for those visiting, what we've been doing all summer is uh, just looking at 316 verses uh, from the Scripture, from a variety of different books. And of course, we all know uh, John 316, everybody's got that one, and uh, we're just recognizing that there's a whole bunch of other great 316 verses uh, in the Scripture, and so each week we just gather together and uh, go to another book and see what 316 has to say. So for today, we're a 316 summer, and uh, kind of the title for today, A Promise is All You Need. And it's based on uh, Galatians 316. And here's the Galatians 316 verse. That is how it is with the promise God made to Abraham and his descendants. The promises were, were not made to many descendants, but only to one, and that one is Christ. All right, there's our verse. Now we've got to figure out and put it in context, get a sense of what's going on in the, in the book of Galatians, and then figure out what it is that Paul is really trying to say to us uh, in this verse. So there's our task uh, for the day. In the process of talking about this in Galatians, uh, we're going to discover a whole lot of language about the law. In, uh, in preparation for this, I discovered some laws that are still on the books uh, in uh, different places in our country. And I didn't discover any from Maryland, but um, I did discover one from um, Birmingham, Alabama. In Birmingham, Alabama, it is illegal to drive your car while blindfolded. <laughs> Sounds like a good law to me, but whatever. Um, in Detroit, this is a very important one. In Detroit, it is unlawful to tie your crocodile to a fire hydrant. So if you ever had that experience, avoid the fire hydrants. I don't know if there's a relationship between crocodiles and fire hydrants like dogs and fire hydrants, but nevertheless. Uh, Natchez, Mississippi has a law that forbids giving an elephant a beer. It's a good law. Uh, And if, by the way, if you're in uh, Natchez and you tie your elephant to a parking meter... Uh, you need to feed the meter uh, just as if the elephant were a car. So if you park your elephant, don't forget to feed the meter. Uh, and barbers in Waterloo, Nebraska, aren't permitted to eat onions between 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. <laughs> Occupational hazard. Uh, and last one, in Hartford, Connecticut, transporting a cadaver by taxi is punishable by a $5 fine. That's all I can tell you. Well, you look at those and say, you know, okay, funny, 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 but outdated stuff, what the heck's going on? As we jump into the text of uh, 316 from Galatians today, um, we're going to discover a controversy that's going on, and at the center of the controversy is an old law. It goes like this. It's a new church that Paul has established, but it's an old battle that he's running into in Galatians. Um, Paul has gone out and missioned churches. One of those churches is in Galatia. As Paul went and missioned churches, he went first to the community that he would know the best. So when he came to Galatia, he went to the synagogues in Galatia, and he met with the Jewish folks there, and he showed them the Scripture, and he made his Pharisaic arguments, and he showed them how Jesus Christ was the fulfillment of the Old Testament, how he was the Messiah, and some believed. And so in this new church that Paul missioned, there came folks from the Jewish background. 
Then he went out into the rest of the, the community in Galatia, to the Gentile world, the Greek-speaking people, and he began to witness to them and tell them about Christ. And, and some of those folks, they received the good news about Jesus Christ, and so they too came into the fellowship of the church. So in the fellowship of the church in Galatia, you had folks who came from a Jewish background, and you had folks who came from a Greek, from a Gentile uh, background. And when you bring those folks together, just like any church today, There's always somebody that's got an idea about the way things ought to be. The way things ought to be. It happened in Galatia. In Galatia, there was a group of people who came from the Jewish background that we've lovingly come to call Judaizers who decided that it was great for those Gentiles to come into the church. But when they came into the church, there were a few other rules and regulations, some law that they had to follow. If you go back to the beginning of the letter, the first chapter in Galatians, here's how Paul starts out his letter to define the debate that's going on. He says, I am shocked. Great beginning to a letter, isn't it? I am shocked that you have so quickly turned from God, who chose you because of His wonderful kindness. You have believed another message when there is really only one true message. But some people are causing you trouble and want to make you turn away from the good news about Christ. Paul has defined that there is an argument taking place in the church. And in that argument, there are a group of people who are trying to convince the new Gentile Christians that there's something more that they have to do besides believing in Christ, that there's something added that they have to do if they're going to be part of that particular fellowship. They've decided that every new person who comes to that church, if they're going to receive Christ, they also need to be circumcised. Now, I'm not going to explain that process this morning, so if you don't know exactly what I'm talking about, see me afterwards and we'll have a private conversation about that. Uh, But I think most of you get the gist of what that is, right? This is serious business, at least for every guy sitting in the room right now. This is serious business they're talking about. They've come along and they said, now, 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 wait a minute. If you want to be part of this fellowship in Galatia, that's great, that's fine. But you've got to understand, you've got to do something, something more, right? Paul, in the uh, beginning of the third chapter where we're looking, right, 316, beginning of the third chapter, he starts out with some great theological deep language. You ready? He starts out the chapter saying, you stupid Galatians. Isn't that a great line? Kind of calls it the way it is, isn't it? <laughs> Whoa! What are you guys thinking? You stupid Galatians! I told you exactly how Jesus Christ was nailed to the cross. Has someone now put an evil spirit or spell on you? I want to, to know only one thing. How were you given God's Spirit? Was it by obeying the law of Moses or by hearing about Christ and having faith in Him. There's the debate. Paul comes right at him and says, wait a minute, how foolish can you be to think that there's something else besides faith in Jesus Christ? And yet that's what the Judaizers want. They said, look, you can come into this church, but if you come into this church, you've got to follow some rules and regulations here. You need to get circumcised. You need to follow some Old Testament law. You see, they were adding to and saying, if you want to follow Christ, there's more to it. 
And the to it is you got to follow some rules and regulations around this church. Now, we sit here this morning and we sit comfortably in this modern-day place and, and we say, well, okay, Pastor, but that was back in Galatia. And they were fighting over circumcision and we're, we're not fighting that battle. We don't do that anymore. Oh, yes, we do. You see, we send messages to people in subtle little ways. We say, well, you're welcome to come into our church. We're glad that you're here. It's fantastic to have you. And by the way, if you come to church here, make sure you wear a suit and tie. Have you heard that from some congregations? You see, we set up little stipulations that say, well, if you're going to be part of this fellowship, there's something more involved. And Paul comes right back at us and says, you foolish people. There is only one important thing, and that's your relationship with Jesus Christ. And you don't add anything to it. If you add to it, you're becoming like those Judaizers and you're getting involved in the foolishness of the old law. It's all about simply relationship with Jesus Christ. So the battle in Galatia is between the old law and new faith. If we go to the fifth verse in that third chapter, Paul says, God gives you His Spirit and works miracles in you. Good thing? The activity of God in life, right? But does He do this because you obey the law of Moses or because you have heard about Christ and have faith in Him? See, Paul's asking the question, what is it that motivates God to work in your life? See, if you want God to work in your life and you wake up tomorrow morning and you approach the day and you say, you know what, if I only do this and if I only do this or if I only do that, if I make sure and please God in these ways, then God has no choice, I'm sure, but to work in my life. And that's exactly what the Judaizers were doing. They were saying, look, as long as you get circumcised, as long as you follow some of these Old Testament laws, then God's going to work in your life. But you have to do this in order for God to do that. Paul says, no. God works in your life because God chooses to work in your life. God works in your life not because you somehow meet some expectations, but God works in your life because He loves you incredibly. God works in your life simply because He knows you and because you are in relationship with Him. God works in your life because He looks at you through Jesus Christ. And when He looks at you, He sees everything your life can become when you live in relationship with Him. God works in our lives not because we meet some kind of expectation. He works in our lives because He sees what our lives can become when we just follow in relationship with Jesus Christ. Paul would go way back to show us the example of that, to show us the power of this relationship when you're in relationship with the living God. He would go way back to Abraham. If you go to the sixth verse, he says, The Scriptures say that God accepted Abraham because Abraham had what? Faith. It doesn't say God accepted Abraham because Abraham was wearing a suit and tie on the day God came to him. 
It says, God accepted Abraham because Abraham had faith. It's about the faith relationship between God and Abraham. And it says, and so you should understand that everyone who has faith is a child of Abraham. Long ago, the Scriptures said that God would accept the Gentiles because of their faith. That's why God told Abraham the good news that all nations would be blessed because of him. God chose Abraham and said, Abraham, I want to be in relationship with you. And all I expect of you is to be in relationship with me. It's all about the relationship. Our lives are not governed by a set of rules and regulations. Our lives are governed by relationships. And the relationship that's most important to us is the relationship with the living God. See, when you wake up tomorrow morning and that day is out in front of you, what's before you is just simply the opportunity to bring honor and glory to God. Not to follow a set of rules, not to follow a set of regulations, but to follow in a relationship and to make that relationship everything you can possibly make it. We live by relationship. Paul is using Abraham to make that example to us. And he makes the example by reminding us that when God chose Abraham, he also made a promise. He made a promise to Abraham. And so we, we just need to know that God's promise is a promise. A promise is a promise. Here's what Paul says. My friends, I use an example, an everyday example, to explain what I mean. Once someone agrees to something, no one else can change or cancel the agreement. So Paul's going to say, look, make, let me make this real for you from everyday life. When you sign a contract, when you make an agreement with someone, you're expected to live up to that contract, and you can't change the contract. You can't just decide that somehow you want to change the contract. If you make the contract, you make the contract. Another example would be a will. If you make out a will and in the course of the will you say, well, I want to leave this knick-knack to John and I want to leave that knick-knack to Susie, and you die and they go read your will, guess who gets this knick-knack? Well, John does. Guess who gets this knick-knack? Susie does. What if they don't want it? Tough. What if Susie says, well, I want John's? And John says, well, I want Susie. It doesn't matter. It's in the will. They get that one. It's up to them what they do next, but they get that one because that's the way it is. What Paul's saying is that's the way it is with God's promise. That when God makes a promise, His promise is a promise. And God always fulfills His promise. And He made that promise to Abraham and He will fulfill it. And then comes our verse. Here's the key. In Galatians 3.16, this is what we've worked up to. Here's our verse. And that is how it is when the promises God made to Abraham and his descendant. The promises were not made to many descendants, but only to one. And that one is Christ. What's it mean? When you get in relationship with Christ, you become an inheritor of the promise and every blessing that goes along with the promise. And it happens only through relationship with Christ. 
It doesn't happen through rules and regulations. It happens only through the relationship with Christ. When you enter into that relationship with Christ, you start living your life according to that relationship with Christ. It opens the door of opportunity for God to do incredible things in your life. And Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of that promise. When you enter into that relationship, then God offers you His Son and all the promises. He offers you His Son and all the blessings that go with that relationship. And you can't earn those things. You can't get them at the supermarket. You can't buy them somehow. There is no way you can fulfill a set of rules and regulations in order to get that stuff. It only comes with Jesus Christ and living with Him. Let me give you a story. There was a small town uh, prosecuting attorney, and he uh, called a witness to the stand, and it happened to be this, you know, little little old uh, little old lady, and she kind of, you know, toddled her way up to the witness stand, and she sat down in the chair and got all settled in. And so the prosecutor approached the uh, the witness stand and uh, addressed her and said, "Mrs. Jones, do you know me?" Well, Mrs. Jones, the little old lady, said, "Well, why, yes." I know you, Mr. Williams. I've known you since you were a young boy, and frankly, you have been a big disappointment to me. You lie. You cheat on your wife. You manipulate people and talk about them behind their backs. You think you're a rising big shot when you haven't had the brains to realize that you're never going to amount to anything more than a two-bit paper pusher. Oh, yes, I know you. The prosecuting attorney was obviously stunned, taken aback by this, not knowing what else to kind of do or to point to or what to ask uh, the Mrs. Jones. He uh, turned to her again. He says, well, Mrs. Jones, uh, do you know the defense attorney over there? She said, oh, why, yes, I do. I've known Mr. Bradley since he was a youngster. I used to babysit him for his parents. And he, too, has been quite a disappointment to me. He's lazy, bigoted. He has a drinking problem. The man can't build a normal relationship with anyone. And his law practice is one of the shoddiest in the entire state. Yes, I know him. At that very moment, the judge pounded his gavel on the bench, called the two attorneys up to the bench. In a stern but quiet voice, he looked both of them in the eye and said... If either of you ask her if she knows me, you're going to jail for contempt. Now, here's the deal. God knows you. And He knows you could never live up to and fulfill any set of expectations as perfect as Jesus Christ did. Do you get it? He knows you. He knows you could never do enough. He knows you could never fulfill all those expectations. And the only avenue of hope for any one of us is a relationship with Jesus Christ. When we accept and receive that relationship, then God looks at us through the cross of Christ, and He sees what we can become in Him. He knows what we are without Him.
And that's where the old law comes in. Paul says, what I am saying is that the law cannot change or cancel God's promise that was made 430 years before the law was given. If we have to obey the law in order to receive God's blessings, those blessings don't really come to us because of God's promise. But God was kind to Abraham and made him a promise. You see, it's the promise. It's the blessing that comes through the relationship of promise. It's not the law. Paul outlines it even clearer in verse 13. He says, But Christ rescued us from the law's curse when He became a curse in our place. This is because the Scriptures say that anyone who is nailed to a tree is under a curse. And because of what Jesus Christ has done, the blessings that was promised to Abraham was taken to the Gentiles. You know what that means? You don't have to live according to a set of rules or regulations. You live in a relationship with Christ. And there's where the promise is. And there's where the blessing is. Remember what he promised Abraham. It comes out of Genesis 12. And the Lord said to Abraham, Leave your country, your family, your relatives. Go to the land that I'll show you. And I will bless you. And make your descendants into a great nation. And you'll become famous and be a blessing to others. And I'll bless anyone who blesses you. But I will put a curse on anyone who puts a curse on you. Everyone on earth will be blessed because of you. You see, when you live in relationship with Christ, that's what God is ready to do in your life. When you live in relationship with Christ, God is fulfilling the promise through that relationship with Christ in your life can become a blessing to not just you and your family, but everybody around you. You have the capacity to change the direction of other people's lives because you know Jesus Christ. You step back and you say, well, okay, that's all fine and good, but then why the law? That's what Paul does in the, uh, in the chapter. He steps back and says, well, why the law? Verse 19, what is the use of the law? It was given later to show that we sin. That's what the law does. It's not that we don't need it. It's just we don't get saved by it. What the law does for us is it reminds us that without Christ, we just couldn't do it. That without Christ, we couldn't fulfill God's expectations. The law reminds us and keeps us humble. It keeps us aware of our own weakness. When we want to get puffed up in our pride, in our arrogance, the law comes along and says, Remember, remember, God knows who you are. Paul says in verse 24, In fact, the law was our teacher. It was supposed to teach us until we had faith and were acceptable to God. The law is a good thing. It's just not what saves us. The law is a good thing. It shows us our weakness and it teaches us. It shows us how relationships ought to be. It shows us how we can live with one another. The law is a good thing, but only as a teacher. It won't bless you. It will teach you. Christ will bless you. Christ will make your life more than what you imagined it could be. Paul would say, but it was only supposed to last until the coming of that descendant who was given the promise. The law is good for its own purpose, but it never replaces our relationship with Christ. That's the key. 
Galatians 3.16 is all about reminding us the incredible blessing that comes just from knowing Christ and trusting Him more than anyone else. The law is a good thing. It teaches us. It reminds us of our weakness. But the answer is always only in our relationship with Christ. Paul says, does the law disagree with God's promise? No, it doesn't. If any law could give you life, could give life to us, we could become acceptable to God by obeying the law. But the Scriptures say that sin controls who? Ups. That's us. That's us. Without Christ, that's where our life is. With Christ, our life becomes an incredible relationship of God giving us every blessing and opportunity of what we become so that God's promises will be for anyone who has faith in Jesus Christ. The key for us when we wake up tomorrow morning is not to follow a set of rules and regulations, but to live inside a relationship. How can I bring honor to Christ today? How can I show Christ to somebody else today? How can the world get changed in its direction because of my relationship with Christ today. The image that Paul would give us is all of you are God's children because of your faith in Christ Jesus. And when you were baptized, it was as though you had put on Christ in the same way you put on new clothes. That's the way Paul understands the relationship, that we take that relationship with us out into our everyday just like we wear a set of clothes. And that we don't worry about a set of rules and regulations. We worry about how's our relationship. And is our life bringing honor to that relationship? Paul would end it this way and so will I. He says, so if you belong to Christ, you are now part of Abraham's family and you will be given what God has promised. If you want your life to become blessed and to become everything that God dreams it can become, It starts by just concentrating on Jesus Christ. Concentrating on just living a life in relationship with Him. Because He is the fulfillment of the promise. Let's pray while the band comes up. Let's pray. Father, we do thank You this morning that uh, Paul would speak to us in uh, Galatians and uh, that he would move us to keep our life focused on one relationship, that relationship with Christ. And that He would expose to us the knowledge that, that through that relationship with Christ, our lives can become so much more than we could ever make them. But they can become everything that you dream, everything you thought of when you came to Abraham so long ago and you promised that you would bless him and those who follow. Lord, we humbly ask this morning, keep us strong with Christ and bring to our lives every blessing we need to give Him honor and glory and praise. We ask it in His precious name. Amen.